Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I am the man who has seen afflictions by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old, and he has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains, even when I call out or cry for help. He shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because the Lord, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. To the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his check to one who would strike his cheek, to one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. For though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Let's pray. Father, we would read your word this morning. And as we come to it, we see that there, there's, uh, there are difficult parts to it. And this morning we would ask, Holy Spirit, for you to teach us and for us to have hearts that are plowed and ready to understand. Let us hear 
Lamentations 3. Both the hard parts and the hopeful parts. And where there is pain, where there is a downcast heart, Father, I pray that we would find identification with the lamenter and with both his sorrow and with his hope. In Christ's name, amen. So, Lamentations, the book, is a book that uh, was probably, we don't know, and we're not going to try to spend a whole lot of time speculating, but probably written by Jeremiah. Follows Jeremiah in our book, uh, in the books of the Bible, but we don't know necessarily who authored it. What we do know are the circumstances that gave rise to its authoring. And you can read about those in uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 25. And if you were to go there, what you'll read and what you'll find out is that Lamentations was written probably somewhere around 565 uh, B.C. And it was written during the period of time that the Babylonians had laid siege to Jerusalem and to Judah. And it was something that the prophets had warned about because of the sin of Judah and um, the sin of Jerusalem and the people that lived there that judgment was coming on them. And so this, is, this had been a refrain uh, of the prophets, and it had finally come to pass. And so the book of Lamentations is a book of laments. A, a, a lament is um, the expression of grief and sorrow. We don't we don't think of, you know, we talk about, when we, when we say, oh, you know, I really lament something, um, that's a very, when we use that expression, it's a very casual expression. It, it isn't the kind of heartfelt sorrow that you experience when you read through this lament or some of the other laments that show up in the books of the Bible. Uh, when you read this book, and it's specifically this chapter 3 that we've just read, you feel that weight, right? Um, and, and you sense that weight um, that, that's coming from, the, from the, uh, the lamenter. So what are we doing here? Why? We're pressing into Thanksgiving, right? So this is the week prior to Thanksgiving. Why in the world would we go to the book of laments? Um, and, and I'll tell you, it was, it was actually personal for me. I, I picked up a book I had heard about, and it's a, it's a little book by, Brian, by a guy named Brian Zond. And uh, the title of it is, What to Do on the Worst Day of Your Life. And um, it's one of those short little books, but very powerful. And he begins in the first chapter with um, weeping. That the very first thing we do on the worst day of our life, and the very the, th- the very thing we should do is we should weep. And, and, um, and I'm just going to tell you, that goes against so much of what we have heard and what we've been taught and what people counsel us to do when things are bad. People, especially in the church, we're really poor at this. We don't come alongside each other and we don't, we don't whisper in somebody's ear, it's okay to cry. 
what do we want to do when somebody's crying? This is really making me uncomfortable. Can we just move away from this? That crying is, you know, that, that emotion. We don't, we don't know what to do with it. We're not very good in society with that sort of emotion. Western people, Americans. It makes us very uncomfortable. You go to, you go to other, you go to other countries. You go to other places, and they know how to mourn. And and we've, I, I think, largely in a lot of ways, forgotten how to mourn, or we do it in silence. We do, we do it in the quiet of, maybe our bedroom at night, or somewhere else. But but we do it alone, and the lamenter is bringing the laments of a nation, of a people, and specifically here in chapter 3, a personal lament to us. They're open, they're honest, they they, they were pinned. Um, There there is a place where we do some public lamenting. You know where it is? It's on the radio. Go listen. You can listen to any music. Almost all music typically is a form of lament to some degree, and especially country music, right? You know what they say? If you, if you take a country song and you play it backwards, you know what happens? They get their dog back, their wife back, and their truck back. <laughs> but honestly, honestly, go listen to country, especially probably, you know, the country music of the 60s, 70s, 80s, early 80s. Um, it's their laments. It's the modern lament, right, about how bad this is, how much this hurts. And so that's kind of a place you can go um, and, and you can find kind of the modern lament. This is the ancient lament. But, but I think when we look through it, as we kind of chop it up, I hope you will hear and see some of um, you, you will, you'll find um, maybe some camaraderie with the lamenter. C.S. Lewis once said, we were promised sufferings. They were part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they that mourn. And I accept it. I've got nothing that I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it is different when things happen to oneself, not to others, and in reality, not in imagination. That's from C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed, in which, as he went through the loss of his wife, he experienced for himself that firsthand grief, and, and he realized, listen, it's one thing to read about it and think about it and talk about it, it's another to experience that grief up close and personal. And that's what the lamenter is doing. So here's what we want to do. We're going to come to the lament, and I've titled the sermon, Bold Lamentations. And here's what we want to talk about. First, what they sound like. Second, what they feel like. And third, how do we break through them? What do they sound like? What do they feel like? And how do we break through them. So let's look at it. First, a, a true lament sounds desperate. Verse 7, he has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. 
The true lament, the heartfelt lament, sounds desperate. So the the lamenter is describing an ancient form of torture, a form of torture that the Babylonians themselves probably used. And what they would do is they would actually take a prisoner, they would take someone who had been captured, and as a form of, of torture for them, they would wall them in a small cubicle, a cubicle such that they... They couldn't sit in it. They couldn't certainly couldn't lie in it. They only could stand in it. And they had no way of, of escaping it. And so they would leave them there for days and days and days and, and possibly even longer. And it was a form of torture. Of course, uh, the other form, that, uh, the, uh, the other aspect that he's talking about is that feeling of being weighed down with chains, which would have been another form. I've told you about my um, my old friend Dick Still, um, and, and maybe you remember some of the stories I've told you. But one of the uh, Dick um, was a, an, an elder in my church in in Louisville, the first church I pastored, and um, he had been the uh, he was shot down over North Korea, and he was the last Marine Corps POW released from that conflict, and he was held by the Chinese right across the border from North Korea. And Dick often said that uh, it was his good fortune to have been captured by the Chinese, even though they were awful and their torture was cruel. He believed it was uh, God's fortune and God smiling upon him that the Chinese captured him and not the North Koreans because he would have almost certainly had died. But Dick described, and, and I've talked about the one incident, one part of the incident before, but he described being held in solitary confinement inside of a Chinese village and in a, in a cage such that he couldn't lay, he couldn't crouch, he certainly couldn't stand up. He remained kind of curled up in a gnarled ball inside of this small cage in the middle of a Chinese village where he heard life going on all around him. But they were forbidden from interacting with prisoners. And so Dick described that, and he described that feeling of hopelessness as he was there in the middle of that, right? No escape, walled in, life going on around him, but unable to interact with anything. And it generated in his heart that that feeling of hopelessness, no, no way out, such that um, he finally eventually contemplated suicide, somehow killing himself so that he could escape that pain. And as you listen to the lamenter, he's describing that feeling, right? Only, and this is the hard part for us, he is ascribing it to God. God is the one that is holding me in. He is the one that has built the wall. He is my confinement. He's, he has prepared that place for me such that I feel I can't escape. And the chains are weighing me down. Do, do you hear that? Look, look at Lamentations 3. The first verse, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of what? The Lord's wrath. 
And then he goes on, and everything he describes, he ascribes to God. He has driven me away. He has made my skin and flesh grow old. He has besieged me and surrounded me. He has made me dwell in darkness. He has walled me in. Was it God himself? No, it was the Babylonians. It was the Babylonians who had laid siege to Jerusalem, a siege that lasted 18 months. Now, you cannot begin to fathom. In 565 B.C., living in an ancient Jerusalem, the city that you're in is sieged by the ruthless Babylonians. Sieged, right? Just begin to think. No indoor plumbing. No no washing. No, no ability to wash yourself and to clean and to get food and the disease and the and the elements and all of just just imagine eighteen months of siege by the Babylonians. And then to be carried off into captivity and to lose the the place of your residence and your birth and your your land, your person. Just think of that. And that's what he's describing. And so he, he sounds very desperate in the abuse. Second, the laments sound dark, right? Very dark. He has driven me away. And made me walk in darkness rather than light. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. When you, when you hear that, you hear that inner description of hopelessness. He's trapped. All he sees is darkness. We, we have a word for this. What do we call it? Depression. He's depressed. He, he can't move. He's, 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 he's rendered unmovable because of his depression. It, it's brought on to him what some of our theologians have called the, the dark night of the soul. Have you, have you been there? Have you ever experienced one of those dark nights? Yeah. He's describing it perfectly, isn't he? That darkness, that feeling that I can't move, I'm hemmed in. Down through the ages, there have been many prominent Christian figures who have battled the dark night of the soul. Spurgeon once said, the justice of God is like a plowshare. It tore my spirit. I was condemned, undone, destroyed, lost, helpless, hopeless. I thought hell was before me. I prayed, but I found no answer of peace. And then he said this, it was long with me thus. It was long with me. That is the dark night of the soul. Spurgeon's deacons, who were his elders, sent him to the south coast of France. I'm feeling depressed. Can I get an amen? 
the south coast of France. So he would often go down to the south coast of France in order to get sun and, and to have his spirits lifted. And I, I, I think I could use a trip about now. But that's what one of the things that he would do. They, they saw him. They saw him battling this despair, this long period of, this, of depression. William Cooper, a famous uh, Christian hymn writer. If you've got your Trinity hymnal, grab it. That's the red book. William, William Cooper battle, uh, battled uh, long periods of, of um, distress. And he, and he pinned a hymn, which is hymn number 128. The title of the hymn is God Moves in a Mysterious Way. I think there's a, one of our ladies groups here um, has, has worked their way through some of these hymns and talking about the hymn writers. And, and, and here, is, here is a hymn. And, uh, and if you read through it, you you will hear in the hymn that depression that Cooper himself uh, dealt with. Um, and, uh, and one of the lines, he, uh, he says this, it's line four, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. And we're, we're going to talk about that here in a couple minutes but, but William Cooper understood the Lord's involvement in his depression, right? He, that even that somehow, though God didn't delight in it, was used in, in his life. We'll talk a little bit more about it. Here's what he said in 1725 at 21 years old. It was his first battle with depression. And he said, I was struck with such a dejection of spirits as none but they who have felt the same can have the least conception of. Well, here's what he's saying. If you haven't been there, you don't know what it's like. But if you have, it resonates. He says, day and night I was upon the rack, lying down in horror, rising up in despair. I presently lost all relish for those studies to which before I had been closely attached. The classics had no longer any charms for me. I had need of something more salutary than amusement, but I had not one to direct me where to find it. This is a man who wrote books and books and books of poems. The only hymnal, which was an entire hymnal, was practically written by William Cooper. He knew the Gospel, he knew the Lord, and yet... Over and over and over again, he found himself battling this depression. The dark night of the soul. And you hear it in the, in the lament as the lamenter writes. Here's the third thing. They sound fearful. Laments sound fearful. Verse 10 Lamentations 3, like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from, from the path and mangled me and left me without hope. He drew his bow and he made me the target of his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my peoples. They mocked me in song all day long. 
C.S. Lewis writing again said, No one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. Laments are the expression of what we're feeling, what we're experiencing deep down in our core. It's personal. And this lament specifically, the, the third one in the book, is deeply personal. Whoever this is experienced it. They experienced all of these things and they wrote about them for us. What do they feel like? We know a little bit of what they sound like. What do they feel like? A couple of things. They feel like sickness. He has made my skin and flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. That is, that is the pain and sorrow, the anguish of the lament that feels like sickness. And often it does. If you go and you read the medical journals, even... Even if you read through the book of Proverbs, what you'll learn is the lament, right? The depression, the the dark night of the soul often drives us to this point of sickness. And then you're in this situation and you're asking yourself, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Was I sick and that made me depressed? Or was I depressed and that made me sick? And then you start going to doctors and they start giving you pills and then you don't know which way is up. And I... Am I the only one that's ever experienced it? I don't think so. But I have. When Jody and I were newly married, married in 92, in 1995 we moved, and we moved to Southern California for seminary to Escondido, and we loaded up our we loaded up the Hertz-Penske or the U-Haul. It was a, it was a Hertz-Penske, I think. We loaded up that truck, and, and um, I drove with a cat box in the front seat. And we made our way across the southern part of the United States. And in El Paso, Texas, I ended up in the emergency room. Not quite sure what was wrong, but something wasn't right. But was it in my head? Or was it actually happening? And then that began a tailspin through the next year and a half of seminary where I was constantly at the doctors and telling Jody, I'm dying. Something's wrong. I'm sick. And I couldn't find my way out. And I I felt like I was going down and down and down. And it felt like sickness when it was really probably some form of depression. And then again, it happened when we moved to Mountain Home, Idaho. And and to some degree, again, when we moved to Yazoo City, Mississippi, and then we came to the lake, and no one's depressed at the lake. (laughs) It feels like Sickness and the lament feels that way, and he expresses his lament that way. And don't forget, right, that to lament could be any one of those things. So 
the lament in this instance is coming from the siege of Jerusalem. But in your life and in my life, the lament could be the result of, no kidding, actual illness. Does that make sense? Right? So start putting it a little bit into your context. And what brings about the lament of your heart and your soul could actually be the lament of sickness. It could be that you, this lament rises up from your heart and comes out of your mouth and it's the result of an illness in your life or a sickness in your life or a pain in your life or a depression in your life. Right? One of those things we can't see and the doctor can't put his needle on, but you know it's happening. The second thing that it feels like is it feels like abandonment. Even when I call out or I cry for help, He shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Listen, be careful. Because sometimes you have a friend and they come to you and they're lamenting, okay? And you hear it, and what are they saying? God feels so far away from me. And I'm praying to Him, and my prayers are doing what? They're hitting the ceiling. Has anybody ever said this? Have you ever heard this? And what do you say? Keep praying. Or they come to you and they have their lament and they haven't expressed it to you and so you tell them, you know, how's your prayer life? You know, we're Alka-Seltzer Christians. We give them the Alka-Seltzer and we tell them, look, just do this. Just read your Bible. Just take the Alka-Seltzer and it's all going to get better. And what you don't know is they've been pouring their heart out to God in prayer and it hasn't happened yet. Because it doesn't always happen that way. It's not always, a, hey, just read your Bible and pray and everything will work out. Sometimes you read your Bible and you pray and you're still lamenting. You're still weeping. You're still crying. And that's what the lamenter says. The lamenter says, I was crying out for help. And he shut off my prayers. Now what do I do? Because he put... He barred my way with blocks of stone and He made my paths crooked. And I didn't know where to go. And I didn't know what to do. See, what is Lamenter saying? He's saying, it feels like abandonment, like God has left me. So when I was a little kid, I apologize, Mom, Dad, for sharing this story. That's, you know how they give those disclaimers and commercials? Mom often hears my sermon, so Mom, I'm sorry, I'm going to tell the story. But when I was a little kid, we would go to Kmart, okay? That was where we went. And I loved going to Kmart because I got to go to the toy aisle, and on the toy aisle were all the toys that nobody bought for me. And I could play with them. Okay, do you remember these days? Come on, some of you remember these days. You would go over there, and one of my favorite toys was the one that had the little orange balls this is pre this is the days before we had uh we had the guns that shot with air so you would go and you would break those little yellow balls off and put them in the gun and then you'd pump it and shoot the yellow ball well i would go to the toy aisle and inevitably one of those guns had been broken out of the package and some of the balls were there and so i'm in the toy aisle 
playing my heart out. And initially, a parent would have gone with me. And they loved to do this. And it was, you know, it was harmless, I'm sure. But what they would do is I would get all captivated by the toys. And then they would slip off and walk an aisle or two over and wait for me to realize that they were gone. I won't wake up Doug again. <laughs> but I would but I would instantly have this moment of panic, sheer panic. Because I felt abandoned. The lamenter is telling us he feels that panic. He feels that panic in his heart, in his soul, because he feels like God has left him. He feels like God has left him. He doesn't even hear his prayers. He's certainly not answering his prayers. And that is that feeling. And that's what laments feel like. Here's the final question. How do we break through? You feel the sense. You hear the sense. How do we break through the lament? How do we we get out of that dark night? If you turn to verse 23, you'll begin to see what the lamenter does. In verse 23, actually he begins to turn before that, but in verse 23 he says they are new. He's talking about his compassions. They never fail. And he says, great is your faithfulness. Verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. He turns his attention away from that moment of distress and lament, and he begins to think about the Lord. Now this is, okay, now you've listened to, at this point, you've gone through 19 or 20 verses of the lament, and, and he understands and he feels as if in the lament that it's the Lord that is doing this, and indeed it is. Because as you look at the other laments, which you know is, it's all about their sin. And so this is the Lord's judgment, a partial judgment on them for that. And so he's right to feel that way. But where does he turn? Where will he go? And ultimately, in the end, what he says is, I know the character of God. I know who he is. And I know if I turn back to him, he will hear me. And He will answer me. And so He turns His attention back and He says, Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, The Lord is my portion and I will wait for Him. And then in verses 25 to 27, there's a waiting. And then in verses 28 and 30, there is this submission element where he understands this is God and he's at work and he's doing his thing. And in verses 31, 32, and 33, he sews up, if you will, his argument. 
And there's some reasoning that's going on here. Listen to it. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. That's hopeful. No one is cast off from the Lord forever. The Lord is is patient, long-suffering, longing that none should perish. And He's appealing to that in God. And then in verse 32, For He brings grief, He will show compassion. So great is His unfailing love. For though He brings grief, He will also equal that out and He will show compassion to me. And then verse 33. For He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Wow. The the literal translation there is, for it's not from His heart. For it's not from His heart. So here's what He's saying. Though, Though these things are happening, though I have this lament and I'm experiencing all of this in my life, and though God is the one who is doing it, He doesn't take delight in it. His heart isn't in it. Let me take you back to the Cooper hymn. What did he say? What did Cooper say in his hymn? Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, what? He hides a smiling face. His heart's not in it. The, the only the only example I can think of is disciplining your child. And I remember my dad saying to me, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Baloney. <laughs> that was right before the... Well, forget it. Okay. That's a little bit of that sentiment, though. And here, the lamenter goes to that sentiment and he says, it's, his heart's not in it. Though he has though he, he has brought this affliction and this grief, he doesn't bring it willingly. That's a challenge for us to understand, but so very true. There's more to this great hope for us, though. It doesn't end there because, listen, all the lamenter has done at this point is he said, look, it feels bad, it feels bad, it feels bad, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. But God is faithful. God is faithful. And that's a tremendous place to be, right? Great is thy faithfulness. But guess what? He was writing before the cross. So he's he's looking forward through a very dark veil at the goodness of God you and I get to look back on the cross, and what do we see? We look back on the cross, and we see a lament, right? Do you remember the lament of Christ? What did He say? My God, my God, why have You hemmed me in, shackled me with chains, beat me down, caused my teeth to feel as if they were broken on gravel, 
Jesus could have said any part of Psalm or, or of, of Lamentations chapter 3 or 1 or 2 or 4 or 5 because he had the great lament because God had cut him off. There was no path back at that moment for him. God poured out his wrath fully, fully on Jesus. You see, on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for every sin of every person who would ever believe in Him. And then He turns and He treats you and I as if we had committed every righteous deed that Jesus had committed. And that's why our hope, the, the lamenter turns attention to God Listen, we should be able to make the swivel faster. We should be able to make the turn swifter. And our hope be more buoyant because the cross is there. Still challenging. Still difficult. But we have the love of God in full display in the person and work of Christ. so that we might not endure the dark night of the soul alone. Jesus' lament is actually a song of hope for you and me. God loved us so much that He sent His Son into the world to die for us. Let's pray. Father, as we look through the lament, we identify with so much of it. We hurt, we're sorrowful. There are days, weeks, months, sometimes turning into years of pain, sorrow, grief, depression. Father, remind us, You've made a way for us. Father, give us in our Christian experience and testimony with one another patience and long-suffering, the long-suffering of God as we deal with the difficulties when a heart is lamenting. And there are things real for us to lament about. But ultimately, Father, would You turn the dark night of our soul to the bright hope of tomorrow in Christ.